Hello, everyone. This is episode two of our podcast, LRI's Taste of Music. Today, we're interviewing Mr. D or Damon Dewhite who is a jazz teacher here at LRI. Sam? Uh, yeah, he is uh, the instrumental jazz ensemble and some music classes. Um, and our first question for him is a bit of a background. So could you tell us like a little bit about yourself? Basically, what we may want to know is like, where did you grow up? New York City. Like- so does that, so, so now does that, that, that bring my status down because <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> but no. So that's that's how I, you know, that's how I got to New York. Yeah. So first I generally wanted to ask, like, how, how are you doing? Is there anything new this week for you? That's um I'm sorry. How are you doing? Is there anything like new this week that you want to tell us about or well, I got, I did get some good news. Like when the pandemic hit, um, I was actually doing a Broadway show, um, the Tina Turner story. Oh, wow. And that, you know, that ended last year, May 11th. So I just got word that the show is reopening on October 8th. So that's good news. Nice. That's really, yeah, that's really good news. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, what could you tell us, like, sort of your role in it? Like, what what are you doing? In it? Are, you, are you playing drums or? Yeah, I'm pl- I'm playing drums. Now the deal with Broadway. Now I'm not I'm not the official drummer. A good friend of mine, who's also a great drummer, his name is Rocky Bryant. He is the drummer. It's it's his gig, but I'm his sub. Oh. Um. So with Broadway being, you know eight shows a week, you know, a lot of the times, you know, the drummers, you know, the, the, um, pri- the primary instrumentalists, they want people to come in and do shows for them. So that's where I come in, you know, like two or three days a week. He doesn't want to do the show, so he'll call me and I'll come in and do the show like that. Oh, yeah. Okay. How long have you done like gigs like that? Or is that, I don't know, is that something you've always done? Well, I, I, I cut my first Broadway show was actually actually about 23 years ago. What that was, was that my fir- first show. It was called Bringing the Noise and Bringing the Noise, Bringing the Funk. So was that like when you were right out of college or had you been out for a few years? Oh, I, I, had, I had been out for a while. Cause that was that was back in '98. Oh no, I had been out of college. Like wow, I got out of college like in 1983. 
Yeah, just just getting some background there. Um, I, I guess uh, we want to know like more about your backstory coming into there. So um, maybe do you remember anything about that first Broadway show? Like anything specific? Well, first of all, I was I was so nervous because it was my first show. But what 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 gave me relief was the person who called me, the musical director who called me, of course he knew me and the anxiety that I had felt going in because it was my first show. And I didn't quite know what a Broadway show entailed, um, you know, but I had good people working with me and helping me. And that's what, you know, that's what got me through. So once, once I did the show and saw what it entailed, then I was prepared to do to do more shows once the calls had start com started coming in for that. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but that that first show, it was you know, needless to say, it was kind of nerve wracking. But we rehearsed. We re I mean, rehearsals were extensive. So, mm -hmm. you know that that helped also. So you know that was the deal with that. You said uh you said the person who hired you you were someone you knew before was that like yes. a, a mentor or something or no it wasn't a mentor we had like we had played there's a famous there's a famous r&b singer her name was roberta flack she you know she's long retired but she was she was big she was a very big uh r&b singer and i worked with her and he was the musical director for her oh, okay and this was a few years before the show. And, and when the show came around, he kept me in mind. And, you know, he knew how I played. He knew how I worked, my work ethic and all of that. So he called me for the show. And that's how, that's how that happened. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I know, I know you just said it wasn't a mentor, but like, were, were there other people, like maybe in college or before that you think pushed you to do more of this, like more performance type shows well 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 in 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 college believe it or not when i went to school i was in school with really i i like to say these guys became the who's who of the jazz world and i'm you know you guys are young and you know i hopefully after i name these names you will do some research but there was a guy named Branford Marsalis. His brothers went Marsalis. Branford, he was in school with me. Um, a guy named Greg Osby, who's an amazing saxophonist. These are all amazing, top-notch jazz musicians. Um, a guy named Donald Harrison. Um, they're, I mean, just amazing, amazing musicians. So it wasn't like they pushed me to do like Broadway shows per se. I didn't even, I didn't even see myself doing Broadway shows when I was in college. That was the furthest thing from my mind. I wanted to tour. I wanted to be a touring musician, and I wanted to be a recording uh, musician. That was my main goal. I wanted to do a lot of recording in the studios, which is something that's not really. A lot of that isn't done now because people can produce their own records in a closet. You know using GarageBand or Logic yeah. or whatever loops. But when in my day, there was a lot of live playing. Records were recorded with live musicians, which was, a, you know, 
which was a great thing. So having said that, like I said, doing Broadway shows wasn't even, that was one of the furthest things from my mind. Yeah. You know, I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the world, you know, and play, you know, jazz festivals and, and all of this kind of stuff. So that's, that's mm. what that was. I mean, I know like not so long ago, yeah, I also had that dream of like, you know, being like a touring artist and, um, you know, having all these different aspirations that, well, it's not that I didn't believe myself, but like, you know, obviously my dreams have just changed and it's fascinating to like look back and think like where I was mentally just one or two years ago. Um, so so I, let me, now, can, now I'm interviewing you. <laughs> why, why have those dreams and aspirations changed? <laughs> um, you know, just me finding, <laughs> you know, finding new interests and, um, you know, reassessing like where I'm at as a musician. Um, okay. Okay. But it's it's never been like oh, you know my dreams are too hard to achieve and um, who knows maybe I'll be doing Broadway shows in the future too. So okay, cool. Okay, you know the cool. the future is always, you know, future is always changing. Yes, yes, of course, yeah. of course, of course. It's interesting that you mention um, things like GarageBand and Logic and just the, you know, the technological era as a whole. Um, yeah. And the way that people find new music now is through a lot of algorithms and social media like Spotify and Apple Music, they create playlists for you based on what you like and you know what they think you want to hear. Um, and now there's uh, social media, people talking across the world about music they like. Um, but what was it like before, you know, the internet was so commonplace and, and before, um, you know, in terms of finding new music and discovering new artists, what was it like to um, branch off what do you, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I understand that question. What do you mean branch off? Like, like, like how, how, how did you discover music, um, like new music and, and um, you know, expand your taste in a sense before the internet spoon fed it to people? Well, I mean, it, it was, it, I mean, it was kind of the same, not that it was the internet, but, you know, being a musician, you, you, I had certain artists that I followed. Um, and certain certain musicians that I, you know, I was always looking for things that they were doing. And then we had records mm -hmm. and yeah. we had, you know, we didn't have CDs, we had records. And we actually went to a record store. This was the other thing too. We could go to a record store and listen to the entire album before we bought it. You see what I'm saying? So if we didn't like yeah. it, hey, we didn't have to buy it. But most... Most of the time with the artists that we, you know, that we liked, you know, most of the time the entire record or the entire album was great. It might have been a few songs that you didn't like, but that didn't prevent you from buying the album. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, I, I think, have you, re, like, um, I, that's definitely pretty interesting, but like, have you started using these new things like Spotify and Apple Music? Like, have you been exposed to them or not really? No, no, you know what it is, Sam? Music now, everything that you hear has basically been done before. Yeah. Pr pretty much. So I, 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 I hate to say it, I kind of still stick to my old stuff. Now, I do have some new artists that I like. Like, I like Anderson Pat. Pat. I love Bruno Mars. I like uh, Billie Eilish. 
Mm-hmm. I'm into mm-hmm. I'm into her. But but then like I said, when I listen to them, I hear the artists that I grew up listening to. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? But it's refreshing because listening to them, it has restored my faith in the younger generation and what the, and and keeping that torch burning for good music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think like what you're saying with like, I don't know, like maybe like the same like patterns you see with like the melodies and that kind of thing. But a lot of the times like um, with the music, I guess like as it moves on like in a, a newer age, a lot like the stories that are being told through the music, those aren't being repeated as much. Like you see like new stories are being told from the different perspectives, even if the music itself- from a di- Yeah, from a different perspective. Like it was a, it was a tune I was listening to the other day, Billie Eilish. Um, oh man, what is it? Bury My Friend. Mm-hmm. She has a tune out called Bury My Friend. And I looked at the video yeah. and I was like, whoa. I was like, like, okay. I, you know, it's, it's speaking to, it's speaking to what she's going through today, but it's still the same thing that friends of mine had gone through mm-hmm. years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. The messages, you know, the same message is being told but it's just being told in a different time, you know what I mean? But it's the same thing. And like the same message will sort of live on for years to come. Um, yeah, exactly. People, people are still going to be going through the same struggles, but it's going to be relative to, to, to the times. Yeah. But the struggles are still the same. People are still going through the same thing. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah. Uh, one, one. I, I don't know where I heard this, but I think there was some interesting fact that was like the music taste or the music that people usually uh, attach themselves to is usually like in their teen years or like when they're younger. Like, do, do you see that in yourself? Like when you were younger, what kind of music were you exposed to? Like maybe not willingly at first, but like what kind of, how does that music affect how you took music further? Man, that's it. You know, and I never thought about that, but now that you say it, that makes that makes sense. I, I grew up in a musical household. You know, my dad played drums and my brother played drums, but it was crazy. When my brother came back from Vietnam, I was about 10 years old. But the music that he was listening to, you know, R&B, soul and this and that. And I was, you know, I really latched on to that. And now that you say that, that was the music that I most gravitated to when I started playing, when I started playing the drums. I never thought about that. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, I know, yeah, you were saying like you play the drums and you know, you, you play music. So um, like, is, it, is there anything specific you'd like to say? Like, I guess you were saying about how you notice the same things in music. Do you think that's because like, you know how to play music or is that just from listening? No, what do you mean? You say that I noticed the same thing. Like, because, because you know how to play the drums. Like when you listen to a song, do you hear like, oh, I know, I know how to play that progression or I know how to play that beat on the drums. Is that like sort of, um, I don't know, make you feel closer to the song or something? Sometimes like when I'm listening to music, I like hear a pattern, like someone's playing and like, I, I think about it. I'm like, wow, I guess I could play that. That's sort of cool. I don't know. I, I, well, now, I mean, I don't know, because sometimes I listen to music for enjoyment. And now that I'm playing the bass, believe it or not, I listen less to the drums. I listen more to the bass. So I'm, I'm like, I'm still like a student. 
You know what I mean? I'm not listening to the music like, oh, I, I can play that. I'm listening to it like, wow, man, what is he playing? I need to, I need to check that out. Uh, you know, so I'm still, I'm still learning, man. I'm, you know, I'm still, I'm still trying to get a, a lot of the new stuff that's happening, and I'm still trying to learn new stuff. Um, but the music, as far as drums, listening to music and 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 drumming, it's crazy. I very rare, I very rarely listen to the drums because I feel like I, I can play the drums, but I I can't. I'm not a great bass player. Mm-hmm. So, so like I said, I listen to the music more for the bass and, and, and also too, for production. Yeah. For, for producing the sounds and what microphones they're using reverb or they, you know, echo here and fading here and this and that. So I'm listening to it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. One, oh, Tim, are you going to say something? Yeah. I was, I was Sorry. just going to ask, um, you can go ahead like right after I'm done, but, um, like jumping off that, you know, you were saying the perspective as like a student versus a teacher or like somebody who's, you know, specifically capable of playing the drums. Um, I just wanted to ask about like when you decided, because you said you studied at Berkeley and um, yeah. you wanted to be a touring musician. When did you decide that you wanted to go into like musical education, become a teacher? When the gigs dried up and I needed work. <laughs> <laughs> When I, need, when I needed a job, I was like, wow, the teaching opportunity came up. Yes, I'll teach. And, and, and I got to say this. I, I have to say this. That's, that scared me because that was something that I never did. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, I, I'm telling you, it, I was scared to death. But then again, like I said, you know, with that other situation with doing the shows, this was a situation where I was referred by somebody and when I stepped into the situation I had a lot of friends who were teachers there and they helped me a lot they helped me a lot I asked questions and you know like please how do I do this how do I do that and they helped me and guided me and that's what that's what got me into it you know what I mean I mean I I don't I don't know uh how how your experiences change with that but I I know for sure that like at, at least at our school you're one of like the favorite teachers. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, you know what? Sam is Sam is saying that. Sam probably said that. And if Sam doesn't send me my video, I will not be his favorite teacher for much. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> if I don't get my video from Sam, I will not be his favorite teacher for much longer. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, no. Would you say that like teaching is that something like you really enjoy now more than you did before? I, I really, I really do. I do. I do. I really do. You know what I mean? And and the program that I taught at before, it was the boy, it was at the boys club, and I taught there. I don't know for for seven years. That was strictly drums. It was all drums, nothing else. So when I got the call to come to LREI, yeah, uh, um, it was because my son who is an LREI alum, he played in the band in middle school. And I used to come in and do jam sessions with the, with the students and the, um, and the uh, music teacher. So when the job came up, you know, they, they re- somebody recommended me and that's how I, that's how I got it. 
Oh, that's that's cool. I I mean I didn't know your your son went to uh Ray really too. Yes, he did. He uh, did. What what instrument did you say he played? Um, he played the he played the trumpet. Do you, uh, oh the trumpet is that is yeah. that like something that you did you like push him to play the trumpet or like how did he? No 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 no. He chose the trumpet, and he chose the trumpet because it was the smallest instrument. It's easier to carry. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. ironically, it's the hard. I don't know. I think it's the hardest instrument to play, and and he was doing he was doing great. I don't know if you all knew Matt. Um, oh man, was Matt Mc, Matt McLean? Matt McLean. Yeah. Matt, Matt McLean. Yeah. Matt Matt was his teacher, and Matt was and like I said, another case. I knew how great Matt was. Why I was so nervous about taking that position because Matt was like a god to me <laughs> he was amazing so when they asked me to take that position i was like oh my god like really so you know but then again like i said i had people who who, who had faith in me people who trusted me and people who helped me you know people yeah. that i could go to and for guidance and all of that so that's what that's what helped me yeah i think you mentioned like that your son was an alum. So like, I'm, I'm assuming he's um, probably in his twenties or uh, around there. And so like, um, has his music taste like affected yours in any way? Like, um, yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> not, not really. We've had, we've had some run-ins as far as, as uh, music is concerned, but Sam, I don't know if you were you remember this. Were you in in um did you do the concert when we did the Phil Collins song? Uh, I don't think so. You don't you weren't there. Um oh uh, what was the name of the song? Well anyway, the story uh uh what was it? Uh in the air tonight. It was a Phil Collins song. But anyway, going back to what you said, as my son's musical interest influenced me. No, we used to have run-ins. And one day I was in the car with him and he was playing, I don't know, mumble rap or I don't know. And I said, man, really? I said, you know, you, you study with Matt and, and that's all you can listen to. And he said, dad, he said, I got something for you. And he put on Phil Collins. Um, I, I can feel it coming in the air tonight or something like that. And I was shocked. And I actually used that song in one of our uh, winter concerts. You know what I mean? He was like, he was like, check this out. And I was like, whoa. Oh, I was like, okay. So that was like, that was like our, our, what's the word I'm looking for? Our common, that's when we met, we met at some common ground. And, yeah. and we agreed on that. And it was a great song. So, you know. That's pretty interesting, like um, how you were saying before, how like your when you were a teenager, like you listened to music that affected, you know, for the rest of your life. But I think it's interesting how your son's perspective maybe was like different, like you, because I'm sure that he listened to R&B, like, you know, from your perspective, but he ended up listening to like completely different music. So yeah. Yeah, and I, and that's the that's the thing too. I you know I had to 
stop being so judgmental because I mean that's the mu the music that he's listening to is is the music of the of the day. But I also have have faith in the fact that the music that he was listening to coming up in our household, he has been affected by that. And I'm seeing that also. Like he, you know, he comes home and he'll bring me like a Miles Davis sticker or a Miles Davis photo or that like that tune that I was telling you all about uh, Marvin Gaye, what's going on. He came home the other day, he has a, a, a sweatshirt with Marvin Gaye's picture on, you know what I mean? So, you know, I, I guess I got through, but I also have to allow him to, you know, experience what's happening today. You know, the music of today. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, this is actually, that actually perfectly segues into what I was gonna say before. Uh, was that like, I don't know, I, I feel like, like for, with my brother, at least my brother plays bass and guitar and the music that he listens to is a lot of a lot of music uh, music that's like technically like like the you know the the instrumentalism is really well done and he's really like the he really loves experimental music progressive music that kind of thing because it's they're doing new things with their like the instruments and i was just and then the other side of that is that like i would say like in general people who like what i see most is like people who don't play instruments not that it's a bad thing but like the music they often uh get are attracted to is more like experiential like music that it describes an experience or it's more descriptive for them and less maybe less about the actual instrumentation i'm just wondering like which which side do you see yourself more attracted to as a musician and as someone who's like so deeply affected by music i mean well of course coming up in the time that i came up it was all about people playing music mm -hmm. and less and less uh loops and less uh, uh, technology and this and that, but I've had to open myself up to the new technology because you can't get away from it. You know what I mean? And it's like the old saying goes, if you can't beat them, you join them. And, and in joining the new movement, I've learned a lot and I've learned to incorporate that into what I do. You know, and it's a great thing. I mean, like even just coming coming to LREI, learning about uh, GarageBand. I didn't know much about GarageBand, and now I'm doing Logic. And um, there's a, a note a writing a uh, a notating app called MuseScore, which I think is great. You know, we wrote everything out by hand, and now with this new technology, it's just it's, you know. Everything is at the push of a button, and it's great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more accessible. Exactly, and 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 the thing is, I find it really frustrating because I have friends of mine, and of course, I mean they're my age, and they're like, "Oh no, I don't want to do that," and this and that, and I'm like, "Well, you're going to be left behind because you're really you're really missing out, and it's much easier to do for me, mm -hmm. you know, to cut and paste." Uh, 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 a music, a section, a section of music. You know, you just copy and paste it, and you can add it to another section. It's and rather than writing it out by hand and trying to play, and it's 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 a lot easier for me. To me, I think it is. Yeah, I think. I mean, I can see where your friends are coming from too, because at at some level, people might argue that you know that that way of making music or that way of writing, it, it loses some of the authenticity. But I think 
in general, like, if, like you can always have authenticity with your music and also have music that's more accessible for more people to make. Right? Of course, of, yeah, of course, of yes, of course. And, and, and I, 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 I took my cue from two of my all time favorite, favorite musicians. That's Miles Davis and Herbie Hancock. Miles Davis was one of the greatest, the greatest jazz musicians in the world. And then ironically, Herbie Hancock played in his band. He was one of the younger members of his band. And both of them, not that they left jazz, but as time progressed and as music progressed, they latched onto whatever the new music was. And like Herbie Hancock, who was classically trained, played in Miles Davis's band as a jazz musician, but he wrote one of the most popular hip hop songs in the world. A hip hop song called Rocket. You know what I mean? So yeah. if you don't, if you don't progress, if you don't move forward, you just fall behind. I mean, yeah. I mean, especially as a, I would imagine as a teacher too, you want to see like the students that you're teaching uh, progress in the same way, or right? you also have to catch up to them. I'm imagining. Well, and that, and that's and that's the thing. Another thing too, I don't. I don't just look at myself as a teacher. When I'm in class, I'm also a student. Yeah. You, 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 you see what I'm saying? Because I have, I mean, Sam can tell you, Sam, like when I'm in class, okay, I'm like, okay, this is our song. This is what we're doing. Okay, anybody have any suggestions? So There's always I'm a Taylor Swift song that comes up. <laughs> no, don't start, Sam. Okay, Je fellas, that's an inside—that's <laughs> an inside joke <laughs> with Sam and I and the jazz jazz ensemble. We I mean, don't allow Taylor. We don't allow Taylor Swift. I'm sorry. But I think that's interesting. Like, I don't know, <laughs> there's like this divide. I would say, like, between uh, as you were saying, like new music and older music, and I think that like some of it, like Taylor Swift, is sort of like you know, the joke, like how different it is. But I I think it's interesting, like how some of it is so similar. Like, I, I think I was hearing about like some experimental jazz, like how they incorporate the sort of um, the electronics, like with sort of old jazz progressions. And I think it's like really interesting. Um, well, I mean, if you, if really like the hip hop today, like, okay, I'm doing, I'm also doing a, 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 a senior project. I'm doing a senior project cohort. And one of the students that I'm mentoring, he, his project is basically about the influences of jazz on hip hop and vice versa. And so Sam, going back to what you said, a lot of the hip hop artists are taking jazz songs and and sampling them and fusing them into their music, you know. Um, and Sam, going back, I don't, Sam, I don't know if you were in the band when we did this. Um, uh, it was a song that we did. Somebody brought it in. They said it was Cardi B, and I'm like, no, that's not Cardi B. Um, Oh, I can't think of the song we yeah, did. I, it. I like it like that. There you go. There you go. Exactly. That that song was was a, a Latin jet was 
originally done by a Latin jazz artist. And I cannot think of his name. I can't think of it. Oh, my God. You all have to look that up. I like it like that. But anyway, Cardi B did a version. So someone had mentioned, you know, Cardi B and this and that. And I was like, I, you know what? I said, I don't like Cardi B, but I'll tell you what. We'll find that song that you're talking about. She is not the original artist. We went and found the jazz version and we mixed the two and we actually did that song in the jazz concert. So, so going back to, to what I said, I don't, I don't just consider myself a teacher. I'm a student also because I'm learning a lot from the students and a lot of the new stuff, a lot of the new technology that's going on. I'm learning a lot about that. And it's helping me to push my music and what I'm doing is helping me to push that forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think like one is a question we were thinking about, which I find pretty interesting. I'm not sure if you'll have an answer, but like, is there any kind of music that you don't think people would expect you to listen to, but um, you do? Hip hop. I don't think people would expect me to listen to hip hop. <laughs> what kind of hip hop do you listen to? I mean, my, my thing is the 90s hip hop. And the reason, the reason mm -hmm. being is because it's fused with R&B. Like back in the 90s hip hop. Absolutely. Yeah. They had a lot, you know, they had a lot of background vocals and they had a lot of R&B stuff. Like the, 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 the later hip hop, I just, ah, some of this stuff, you know, like Kendrick was Kendrick Lamar. You know, I like I like him, but some of these artists I I just can't I really can't identify with, you know, or their messages. But the '90s hip hop, you know, like like when I work out, like in the morning I work out, all I listen to is hip hop when I with my headphones when I'm working out because mm -hmm. it pumps me up. You know what I mean? And I actually, I don't yeah. think I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say actually, like, uh, for history class, I read a biography about. Uh, Biggie, the notorious B.I.G., who's 90. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? And then what's interesting is, like, his producer, Puffy Combs, who's also made music, his, his yeah. one of the main things he did was exactly what you're saying. He took popular R&B songs or popular jazz songs and, and loops, or I like, took the samples from those songs and fused it into the rap. So all, those, all of Biggie's songs, like, all of those are, they are basically born or they, they come from these roots that are rooted in R&B. And, 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 and see, that's what I'm saying. That's why I was so gravitated. That's why I gravitated towards the 90s hip hop because those R&B songs that they were sampling were songs that I grew up listening to, that I was familiar with. And then they put the hip hop flavor on it. Now, I have another <laughs> little tidbit of, 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 of information. My neighborhood, one of my neighborhoods, I used to get off the subway and Biggie Smalls would be standing on, this was before he was Biggie Smalls. He was just Christopher Wallace. Was it Fulton Street? Fulton Street, yes. I yeah. lived on, check this out. I lived on St. James and Fulton. So anyway, I would get off the subway at Clinton and Washington, and he would be standing there with his crew. And the crazy thing about it, now I don't know if, how much research you did about Biggie, but he had a group, this was a spinoff group of his called Junior Mafia. Are you familiar with them? Yeah, yes. All it's right. Crazy. 
one of the one of the members of Junior Mafia, they called him Little Caesar. His real name was Kawan Lloyd. When I lived in that neighborhood, he was about 11 years old. And, and I, I had kind of taken him under my wing. So he would go with me to like my jazz concerts when I was playing around town. His mother would allow him to go or I would take him to the movie. And then once he joined Biggie's group, he became Little Caesar. <laughs> that way, that's so, and so it was crazy because I didn't like Biggie. I mean, I didn't like Chris. He was just arrogant and snad. And then when, Ka when Kawan joined his group, I was like, you know, saying to myself, why is he, you know, running around with this idiot? But I must say, Biggie is one of my favorite rappers. He is. And, and, and this is the other thing, too. One of the musicians that I mentioned that I went to school with at Berkeley, his name was Donald Harrison. He was an amazing saxophone player, jazz saxophone player. He lived in the same building with Biggie. Biggie's mom used to let him hang out with Donald Harrison. And Donald would take Biggie to museums and he taught Biggie about jazz and, and, and jazz soloists and drum solos and this and that. And a lot of Biggie's style comes from what he learned from this jazz musician named Donald Harrison about phrasing and about how his delivery in rapping. That's, so yeah, that's actually crazy because I like in the in the book I read about Biggie, it it actually did talk about I don't know, I don't know if it was if it was exactly that person that you mentioned. I, yeah. I'm, I was actually trying to look for it. Uh, I'm actually gonna keep looking for it, but it, it mentions like all these people, like for Biggie with other rappers, where these like jazz musicians or people like that take them under their wing and actually like bring them and show them like jazz culture that inspires their music. Yeah. So with Biggie, it was this, it was this musician named Donald Harrison, who's a saxophone player. And I went to school with, like I said, I went to school with with Donald uh, at Berkeley. Yeah, I think this is like, this is super interesting, but like, it, it just shows like how incredibly connected like the genres really are. Like you can talk about how connected they are all you want, but like they literally uh, are R&B and hip hop are literally just inextricably connected. Yeah, and, 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 and even with this, this uh, senior project that this kid is doing, he's doing basically, long story short, He's, he's looking at the similarities between the different genres of rap, mumble rap, rock rap, trap, or, you know, and all of that. And basically, in his research, he's found that people have, are getting away from labeling the different genres, because if you look at it, they're really all the same. Mm -hmm. And like modern rap now, like even like even though you said you're not as you don't like the modern rap as much, whether it's you know, the music or the messages, a lot of that rap uh, was also inspired by people like Biggie. So it really is just like a, a, a ladder, right? A, a chain. It goes from one to the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the thing. I mean, everybody, everybody borrows. Everybody borrows, or 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 they they're inspired by someone that influences their music or influences what how they how they produce 
music. You know, Billie Eilish, I'm sure she listened to somebody who inspired her music. And then she took mm -hmm. that and turned it into her own thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, Sam, go ahead. Oh, I was going to go off a little bit, but um, I was just going to ask, like, have you, um, like, I don't know, ever written a song, produced music, like, um, originally? And, like, how can you be, if so, can you be attributed to, like, that process where someone inspires you and then you build off of it or no? I There's a, there's a, a great jazz saxophonist. Well, he passed away. His name was Grover Washington Jr. I actually co-wrote a song that he put on his on one of his albums. So, and that was that was like by accident. It wasn't it wasn't like okay, I'm going to, Grover Washington wants a song, and I'm going to sit down and write a song. A friend of mine who's a saxophonist, I was working working uh, on a job doing something uh, years ago, and they had a piano, so we were just fooling around, and we just wrote this song. And then about two years later, two years later, he called me and said, hey, Grover wants to use the song that we wrote. And I was like, what song? <laughs> what, what, what are you talking what, about? So I'm sorry. What's the title? Uh, um, the, the title of the song is called Grammar, Gramercy Park. And, and the record is it's Grover Washington record called uh, the album was called Time Out of Mind. Uh, and the song is called Gramercy Park. It's like a smooth, you know, jazzy, jazzy song that we we put together. <laughs> yeah, that, that's definitely, that's really interesting. Let's see, do you want to say something? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a bit distracted because I'm still trying to look for, um, in, the, in the book that, about Biggie talking about the people who took him under his wing. Another example I found was like his his uncle in Jamaica, actually, right? His uncle in Jamaica. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He he played he played music like his uncle played like concerts and that kind of thing in Jamaica, and like that's a totally different type. Of, or it seems like when you first listen to it, it seems like that's totally different from the music Biggie made. But when you really listen to it, when you look at like the beats and the the style and the, like the the groove, you can you can see like direct connections to like rap. Or at least the ones that Biggie made. Now let me let me ask you this because there was a great documentary. There there have been a couple of documentaries out about Biggie, but this latest one, I think, really touched on his true beginnings. And and when it came out, it talked about his uncle. Now let me ask you: Was his uncle a DJ or was he a musician? A DJ, much, I think. He was a DJ, right? He played at parties. That, right, right. That's right. That's right. And so I think, too, in that, if I'm not mistaken, I think his, D, his, his uncle being a DJ, he turned Biggie on to a lot of R&B and a lot of the music, you know, a lot of the, the Jamaican music, of course, and this and that. But you can hear all of that in Biggie's inflections, like the way he, his, he raps, his phrasing. You can hear all of that in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's like not just, I don't, you don't just see that in rap and, and R&B too. I feel like all kinds of music, if you, if you dig deeper, you find connections like that. Yes, 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 yes. Um, 
calling back to like all these connections and stuff. Um, you know the the group Outcast, the duo Andre 3000 and Big Boy. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, their first, like at their initial work was you know mostly hip hop, and they definitely pulled a lot from R and B and other genres like that. But um, one of their albums is kind of a split album between the two of them. Like, and Andre 3000's album is um, taking that inspiration from genres like R and B and pop and jazz and taking that to a completely whole new level. Um, and it's considered pretty experimental, at least for what they had previously done. And so being reminded of um, the way that um, music influences each other, and then it kind of takes a full circle. And, and by the way, in turn, like um, this experimental album influenced a lot of people in and of itself. So being reminded of how music genres influence each other, things go full circle. And sometimes music ends up like influencing itself. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Uh, you know, and, and the, the other thing too with, with uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Go oh, no, no, go, go, go. Uh, mine's off on a different note, so you should say so. No, no, because I, because I, the thing is too, with the availability, like with, with, with social media and the internet and, and uh, uh, the ability to just grab music from wherever. See, when I was coming up, First of all, we weren't really exposed to music from other cultures because we didn't have that connection. We didn't have that connection to, mm -hmm. to different types of music. It was, it was pretty shut off. And, you know, we were, we were cut off from, from you know, other cultures. But now with, with the internet, at the push of a button, you can hear so many different types of music uh, from so many different types of cultures. And even like, uh, there's, I, I know there was like a rap song where they took like a, an, a sample from uh, uh, an East, East Indian uh, uh, riff, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they fused that into their music. So that has helped to create that, uh, uh, that melting pot, if you will, of, 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 of music. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. Um, the question I was gonna ask before was like, like lyrics. Like I know, I know rap is, is especially popular for the lyrics and like how people express lyrics, but you know, you like yourself, I don't know how much, like how much does lyrics or how much do you listen to lyrics? It's like coming from a it's more instrumental background. I mean, uh, lyrics, lyrics are a big, play a big part in certain types of music. Of course, in jazz, there are no lyrics. It's mostly instru instrumental. But if, if it's a music with words, then I, lyrics play a big part in that for me. Because coming up, when I was coming up, R&B, like if you, if you, you research Motown, uh, Motown played a big part in the Black community initially. And Motown spoke to what we were dealing with in the Black community. Mm -hmm. But Motown was such great music, it was accepted, widely accepted throughout all the world. Whites, Blacks, Asians, Puerto Ricans, whatever. When they heard, heard that Motown sound, they just couldn't get enough of it. So 
going back to what you said, coming up and listening to music like that, lyrics always played a big part in 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 what I what 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 I a lot of the music that I gravitated to. Mm-hmm. I, always played a big part. Are you like when you said like when other cultures hear music about like your culture or even like a culture that you identify with? Like, are you grateful for that connection? Because it like, do you think it like, it shows more people something that, or like gives more people an opportunity to see into a perspective that they normally wouldn't see into? Of course, I'm very grateful to that because it, a, a lot of the times, this, this is the thing. When, 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 when black folks create something, the powers that be, it's always shunned by them. Mm-hmm. It, it's always looked upon as something negative. For instance, okay, the word jazz. The word jazz wasn't adopted uh, uh, by black by the black jazz musicians. That was a term that was given to jazz. It was a negative term mm-hmm. by the powers that be. It was like, look at those, and they they call this the N word. Look at those N words playing that jazz. Basically, jazz meant, I can't use the word, but it meant garbage. Yeah. And the term caught on. But once they saw how popular it became, right, then it was a different story. And the same, the same with hip-hop. If you look at hip-hop in its infancy, oh, it was negative. Now you can't go anywhere in the world without seeing hip hop's influence, something that's been influenced uh, by hip hop. Yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? So yeah. going back to what you said about the Motown thing, yes, I was elated to see how people had latched on to something that we had created. Mm-hmm. And they started hearing our stories. Our stories weren't getting out. And, and, and like I said, going back to Motown, these were stories of love. But we were looked upon as being violent. We mm-hmm. were the violent culture. We, you know, we, we, you know, we, anything negative that could, that could be associated uh, 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 with anything was always associated with us as Black people. But when Motown came out, Motown artists came out, they, they had dignity, they had class, they were refined, they wore suits, and they were very, very uh, uh, um, uh, disciplined. They were yeah. very disciplined. It was, it was a well-oiled machine, the Motown factory. So it made me proud. And, and to this day, it still makes me proud. And that's why, like the song that, I, that you asked me to play, it's by a Motown artist. His name is Marvin Gaye, and the song is called What's Going On. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, what it sounds like to me is like, like all, all the cult, like every culture that's ever been put down, like taking back terms or taking back culture that was used against you is always something that's, it's always like a great feeling or it's always, it always feels good to, to not only just like have it for yourself or have your own culture, but to share it with people and not have, like, and receive that kind of positive feedback. Yes, 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 yes. Do you, uh, I'm just wondering, like, like, do you ever see, um, like, I guess the example I would use is in modern hip hop, hip hop, no, hip hop, um, <laughs> in modern hip hop, um, 
a lot of times you see you see like white rappers too. Like I'm not saying that you you can't have white rappers, but I'm saying like, uh, and when a culture is so rooted in, uh, in a, a group of people, like how do you how do you feel about other cultures coming in, um, and like creating their own music or their own experiences from that? And do you ever see that turn in a negative way? Um, you know like, what I I I I not now, but but in the past, and I tell you why. Like the new term that came out that I learned. This year was cultural appropriation, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's and and to me, it's, that's that's a slippery slope because if okay, for instance, if I go now, I the the style of dress that I like is the the Chinese Mandarin collars. You know those types of shirts that they have. Yeah. Okay, I love those shirts. So, and is that cultural appropriation because I like those shirts? Or is it cultural appropriation because I like Spanish food, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I'm not, but my problem with cultural appropriation was people stealing what we created as black people and the black people didn't benefit from it financially. Mm-hmm. That was my issue. So now with the, with the white rappers coming, coming up and, and I have no problem with that. Because now I know a lot of the black rappers today are profiting from what they've created. See, back in the day, we didn't profit from the music that we created. The white record executives took what we did and they reaped the financial benefits from what the black artists created. And it took years before black artists were able to control what they control the financial aspect, the financial part of what they created. Yeah. It took years. So I'm and I'm sorry for going off on a tangent, but oh it's fine. Yeah. For 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 the white rappers doing it, I mean it, you know, if, if they're good, I mean uh uh what's his, what's his name? Uh Eminem? Yeah. Oh man, come on. That's my dude. <laughs> You know what I mean? He's, yeah. he's hey, I love him. He's a big, and you know, look, look, look who produced him. Mm-hmm. Right? Dr. Dre. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's Dr. Dre with Snoop and Tupac and all those. He saw Eminem. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. We got something here. Yeah. You know what I, I guess, mean? Yeah. I guess, I guess like the, with the cultural appropriation, it comes to, I think, I don't know, the, the general way I, I define it for myself is like when, when I, like it or when, when I, it's acceptable is like I, I don't I don't like when you know you can take aspect or enjoy aspects of a culture without understanding or caring or you know, feeling the negative parts that come along with it right so in cases where like you're fully embraced in a culture that's that's different from just like taking something and then just enjoying like like, like you said profiting off of it or like using it as like a whatever just could to go to prom or do whatever you know that kind of thing. It's different than fully immersing yourself in the culture and being part and, of it. Yeah, exactly. And studying and actually studying the culture and, and, and seeing where all this stuff originated. So yeah, you know, back to what you were saying. No, when I see white rappers, I, I have no problem with that. You know what I mean? As long as they're good. Um, I would say that was incredibly well-rounded and, um, I definitely learned a lot from this and it was super interesting. 
So I would say like, Mr. D, if there's anything you would like to say, go ahead. Well, you know what, I, like I said, uh, you know, I don't always, I don't just consider myself a teacher. I consider myself a student and I learned a lot from you guys. And I, I just like to say, I just think what you all are doing is incredible. And I think you're, you're great at it. And you're great interviewers. And I am honored. I am deeply, deeply honored that you asked me to do this. And I hope I did you all some justice. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, no. I think sure. I, I can't speak for the other two, but like, like interviewing you and interviewing some other faculty is one of the main reasons we wanted to do the podcast in the first place, just because we have so many questions. And just, yeah. Yes. Great. Well, well, thank fellas, you so much. Listen, thank yeah. you. No, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of LREI's Taste of Music. We hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.